king's kids, sons of the king, that's King Jesus. If you're in second grade on down, we have a junior church ready for you. I think there are balloons this week, so, and always a snack. Second grade on down, go. You're free. Oh, I got to get my stuff out of the way. I got to come on up here. Bible reading mayhem. Turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. I will be reading Proverbs 1, 8 through 19. No, sorry, 8 through 18. Yeah, that's 8 through 19. 8 through 19. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, Come along with us. Let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We will all share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie and wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. Amen. Those are the words of Solomon. Listen to how much that reflects uh, his dad in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Blessed is the man doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, doesn't even stand in the way or the plans of sinners and doesn't sit in the seat looking down on others, criticizing others, scoffing at others. This is the wisdom of the Bible. David saw the problem of joining in with the wicked and Solomon is warning his sons, his family to not join in, to not consent, to not Follow the way of, and here's the development in the Bible. It's, this is the way of foolishness. A story is unfolding. We have an older man and his wife. Did you catch that? Also the words of your mother. It's not just the words of a dad, but it includes a mother as well. Here's the way to honor God. We saw that last week, verses 1 through 7. Step one is pursue wisdom. Okay, we got that. That's last week. Pursue wisdom. Like some of it? No, all of it. Like just for today? No, forever. Pursue wisdom for the rest of your life. Why? It will save you. Wisdom will save you. It saves you. You pursue it. You don't even have to get all of it. You're just chasing after it. You do your part, it does its part. And step two 
Avoid evil people and actions. That's what he's saying today. It's fascinating to me that he didn't just say, don't do evil. The first place Solomon goes with his warnings, last week was an encouragement, this week's a warning. Step one, pursue wisdom, do your part. Step two, avoid evil people. Don't join up with them. It's the group project of doom. We all are going to sin anyway, but man, when you join hands with other people, it can get out of control in a hurry. You think one dumb person's bad? You start adding them up together. We, that's the way we are, right? When we pool our ignorance, we get bolder. Well, we can't all be wrong. Hello. Get three mechanics in the room. You're going to get three different opinions on how to do something. And if they agree, it's probably the wrong opinion. You get three cooks looking at the same recipe. Start doubting the way they do things. And then you want to, you know, you kind of want to, you want to be gracious. You want to you give in to other people and there it goes. And then there's some of you that are like, nah, this is my way or the highway, chump. Careful. Because people are following you. You're not just being bold on your own. You're the leader of that pack of ignorance sometimes. <laughs> and you step in it and everybody else steps in it right after you because they're afraid to step out of line. Like, all of our personalities fit into this warning some way, somehow. Avoid evil people and actions. So, this passage today is a contrast with the godly wisdom of last week. Now you can follow the way of wisdom. He also frames it with this word, greed. You can follow the way of wisdom, one through seven, or you can let greed control you. It's not just that you are being greedy, it's really a reflection back to Genesis chapter 4 when God warned Cain, Cain, I've told you what is right. Sin is at the door crouching and it is ready to master you unless you master it. Sin is always waiting for you to give consent and then it takes control. Then it rules and ruins your life. That's what Solomon has learned here. Don't consent with them. Don't go with them. Don't stand with them. Don't go in the way. And remember, next slide, this is royal advice. This is from a king to his son, right? It's, okay, I'm the son of David. David's got all these promises. I'm Solomon. A lot of kings are going to come from our family line, uh, but an eternal king is coming. And while we wait, how are we going to live this life? This is royal advice at what point, at which point you might kind of check out. You're like, well, I'm not a king. Be rich. I don't have that much to, to handle and to be responsible for it. Surely it can't be that important. Uh, careful there. You are rich. You do rule and influence a lot. Pushing back. I, I can see it in your left. Like, hmm? Got a couple of these. Oh. The average 
human on planet Earth lives on $2 a day. Average American household earns $164 a day. That's only $60,000 a year. You're like, well, I've only, it's two people. If both people, both husband and wife are working, that's, that's only 30000 That's not that hard to get. That's the average. Some more, some less, but just at $164 a day, <clears throat> you're 80 times richer than the average human on planet Earth. We are filthy rich and privileged. We are. We have a lot of things going for us in our country, in our economy, even if it's not where we want it to be. See, greed looks at what other people have. They're richer, they, they have more, and I want it. Grateful looks at the people who have less and says, God, thank you for what I have. This whole book is a study in contrast. You may not be Solomon, but you have Solomon's decisions to make over the way you handle your body, over the way you handle your wealth, over the way you handle your family, over the way you handle your career, over the way you handle your leisure time, your recreation time, your heart, your mind, all of it. He is a case study. Sometimes on what to do, and a whole lot of times on what not to do. We should listen to him. This is royal advice. Oh, by the way, you are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, the son of the living king. You are kings and queens, princes and princesses of God. Your future is to rule and reign for eternity with him. Listen to this advice. It is helpful and it is good. Write this down. Our broken human nature is greedy and grasping. Our broken human nature is greedy and grasping. And we like to think of that old serpent, the devil, as our chief enemy. And in some ways he is the devil, the Lucifer, the adversary, the accuser. Me against him. It's me against evil. Well, not really. Next slide. Your own worst enemy is your own dead self. Your sin nature. That dead man, as the Apostle Paul calls it, that still dwells within you. He lusts against the things of God. He covets. He is tempted. We are tempted when we are drawn away by our own dead, evil, fleshly desires. Now, Satan is behind it all. He is the father of lies. He has brought it upon us, and, but we've swallowed it. This book is not about rebuking the devil. It's about rebuking yourself. You've got to be honest with your own heart. It is deceitfully wicked. Which means putting the Proverbs into practice requires you to step on your own toes. Sometimes that means you take off the steel-toed boots of your conscience Say it like God says it, and you see it like God sees it. You stop sugarcoating it, you stop rationalizing it, you stop doing it because that's the way we've always done it, and you start to change the way you live, the way you see yourself first. This is not, don't come to the book of Proverbs because you want to change your kids. It's not what it's for. It's change you. 
and it'll help your kids. You can give them some wisdom from it, but it's out for your heart. Now, this passage today did not lend itself so easily to like three points and a poem. So I came up with three observations. Three observations. Observation number one from this passage today. Greed leads to hurting other people. Greed leads to hurting other people. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, hey, come with us, let's lie and wait for blood together. Let's ambush the innocent without, without reason. He doesn't deserve it, but it doesn't matter. Let's swallow them alive like death and Sheol. Swallow them whole. We shall find precious goods. There's the motivation. We're not doing this just to be mean or evil. We're doing this to get something. Precious goods. And we will fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us and we will all have one purse. <laughs> if somebody's wicked enough to steal from other people, are you going to trust them to share with you? Come on. Let's just, it all, we'll all share it. Yeah, that's a right. There's strength in numbers and there's death in numbers. Crazy. It hurts people. It can hurt them in two ways. There's an act of hurting where you're like robbing those who have. That's the common thing we think of. Stealing, taking, cheating so that we can take. But then also there's the passive hurting of other people where we neglect to help the people we should. That's the parable of the Good Samaritan. The people who passed by and didn't help, they didn't hurt him, they didn't cause it, and that was part of their rationalization. Hey, this is not my problem. And Jesus says, loving your neighbor makes their problems your problem. We need to not just be a people who avoid doing what is evil, we need to be people who major at doing what is good and right and active, doing the right thing. Otherwise, we are hurting people one way or the other. Our greed, our selfishness, it hurts. Observation number two. Greed leads to uncontrollable consequences. Their feet run to evil, they haste, they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. Verse 18. These men lie and wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. The irony. You're not just hurting other people actively or passively it's always coming back on your own head. If not in this life, God will bring vengeance. God will pull off the ultimate act of justice and justification. He will make sure everything comes to pass and everyone gets their dues unless they are clothed in the grace of Jesus Christ. Those are the options. You pay for it yourself or you rest in Jesus having already paid for it. It's coming. There are two deaths to deal with. You can hasten one 
intensify the other. We've said this before. You can choose whatever, kids, you can choose however you want to sin. Cannot choose the consequences. That's in God's hands. You can choose. Well, I am. And here's how it's going to play out. No, no, no. Once you do it, it's out of your hands. The consequences are in other people's hands. The consequences are in other people's decisions. The consequences are in God's hands. (laughs) And it's always worse than you think. Always more complicated than you ever imagined. You always end up hurting more people than you even realized were part of your life. Careful. So this passage is teaching. You may choose to sin. You may throw in your lot with evil people. You may do terrible things. It's actually going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you bad. You're setting an ambush for your own life. And you're dumber than a bird. Did you get that? Verse 17. In vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. When a bird sees the trap, the bird avoids the trap. But people are dumber than that. They set the trap, and they fall into their own trap. <laughs> this is part of the beauty of, of Solomon and his wisdom. Like, you are you're dumb as a bird, man. I've seen some dumb birds. But God has made them in such a way they notice a few things. And when you are in sin, you are not going to notice everything. Because remember, when you give in to sin, it controls you. You lose perspective. Every time we, every time we choose to, to willfully sin, we're lying, cheating, stealing, coveting, we're greedy. We are giving control of our hearts to something bigger than us. And we're made to do that. We are designed to give our hearts to something bigger than us. Worship God. But as soon as we give in to our selfish desires and our wicked hearts, our wicked heart's not in charge anymore and greed and sin rears its ugly demonic head and it is now motivating you, controlling you, puppeting you, and you don't even know it. Why do I do the same things over and over again? Because you give in to the same things over and over again. Fight with the power of Jesus Christ. You have to call out to him for deliverance, for sustaining power. You need the Holy Spirit to convict you. 1 Corinthians 10. With every temptation, God makes a way of escape. But the way of escape's not there if you keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. Have you ever been in a moment in your life where there are only two bad options? Where you, where you, you are so deep in a situation, you finally cry out to God, like, show me what I need to do. Here's what you need to choose. Bad or batterer. You're like, that doesn't even make sense. And you don't make sense. If you'll think about it and you'll pray about it and you'll rewind the story of your own life, you'll get to a point where you weren't in that mess. And you start to remember, oh, I did that. Then I thought that, then I thought that, then I did this, and then I did this, and they did this, and I gave up to that. And you're in a point of no return. 
Happens a lot in dating. You don't wait till the windows are steamy and you're parked in the middle of nowhere to say no. It's too late. You have parked yourself at a place of no return. The no comes before you even get suited up for the date. The battle's here, my friends. The battle is here. We make those decisions before we get in that situation. That's where God gives you the victory. He shows you what is right. He protects you from what is wrong. And if you walk the path of sinners, you're going to sin. And it's going to hurt. Observation number three. The American dream will kill you. I grew up in Southern California, Huntington Beach, Orange County, close to the ocean, which means the price of real estate was stupid. Stupid. And as my family wanted to buy homes and raise their kids, I'm the oldest grandchild in my family. So I got the first front row seat to this production. In order to be able to afford a house, people had to move further and further inland. And it's not uncommon for people to commute two or three hours one way to their jobs. That's not uncommon. That's why we have gridlock. That's why they're constantly upgrading the, uh, the freeways and instituting tolls and toll roads. Some of those toll roads are 20 bucks for a three-mile stretch. People pay it, and the toll lane is backed up. California is rich. Yeah, they just don't know how to spend it. So I, I saw this. People would move farther and farther away. What happens when you spend two, four, or six hours on the road every day? So you, huh? Your personal health problems. You have to cut the time out of your life somehow, and it's usually you're cutting out exercise, you're cutting out eating properly. What else gets cut out of your life? Time with your kids. Well, I'm doing this for them. Your kids could care less. You live in an apartment and you spend time with them. That's, that's what they're going to remember. Not a three-bedroom, three-bathroom house with a green yard, two, three-car garage. That's not, that's not what your kids want. And so I saw this phenomenon of the American dream killing my own family. Willing to go to every extreme to provide, it's greed, my friends. Not being content with the little we have. Not being content with what you have. And thinking more is better. And all of us are guilty of this. We're always thinking of something better. More education. More truck. More vacation. More retirement. Sooner retirement. More kids, that'll make me happier. Or less kids, that'll make me even happier. Get them suckers out of here. More, more. We have all these ideas of a happier life. We, you have your own American dream. Are you willing to measure it up against God's plan for your life? Because I think it's different. And if not outwardly, at least inwardly. 
being content with what you have, seeing where you are. Here's one of the biggest lies we tell our children. Your grades and your trophies define who you are. Your grades and your trophies, your sports, your competition, your achievements, define who you are. That is one of the darkest, most evil lies on planet Earth. Yet, <clears throat> we spend a lot of time telling our kids, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Proverbs is going to have a lot to say on that. It is. Children, obey your parents. Parents, raise your children in the admonition and fear of the Lord. What does that look like? It looks like this. Little Johnny comes home from school, throws his book bag across the hallway, goes slams his door, and he's upset because he got a B on his test. Or little Susie strikes out, flings her bat towards the dugout, starts yelling, crying. Now, typical parenting. Don't throw your bat. Don't throw your bag. Okay, that doesn't usually work with kids. They want a little reasoning. Because you might hurt somebody. Because I paid good money for that bag. Don't slam that door. You're going to break it again. Don't, don't, don't. You'll hurt somebody. You'll hurt yourself. That's bad sportsmanship. That's typical parenting. That isn't Proverbs. That isn't godly wisdom. What does it take? It takes a parent who's willing to slow down. Why did you throw your back? Because I struck out. I hate when I'm, everybody wanted me. I'm the best player. Oh, no, no. Why did you why, you, why are you losing control right now? And engaging in a conversation because you didn't get your way, what it's going to come down to. You didn't get whatever you want. Oh, honey, you got a long life ahead of you. We're not going to get what we want. We can't always win. Why are you so upset? Because you're a sinner. Taking a conversation to that deep level because your heart is desperately wicked. And if you don't get a hold of that heart right now, honey, I'm, gonna, I'm glad you're in my home. We're going to talk about that. Every time it comes up, your anger, your rage, that's going to destroy you. Nobody's going to want to be around you. You're going to lose your friends. You know what happens to angry grown-ups? They go to prison. You start casting a vision of what it looks like when you live it from your heart. Don't make your kids, don't make their life all about grades and trophies. I'm not saying those are bad things. What I'm saying is we need to go a deeper level like the book of Proverbs advises us. Raise our children to understand what God wants from them. It is okay to not be perfect. Amen. It is okay to, to not be the perfect student. It is okay to not be the best athlete. It's okay. Slow down. Slow down your life. The American dream is going to kill you. Don't swallow that thing. Hook, line, and sinker. You know what happens when a fish swallows the hook? Usually it dies. Be careful what dream you swallow, what dream you let your kids swallow. Watch it. 
Here's the readjustment. Jesus' words. In Matthew 13. Turn there. Let's turn to Matthew 13 real fast. Just three verses. It popped into my head yesterday. I jotted it. Handwrite that in my notes here. Matthew 13, 44. If you try turning it off and turning it back on. I like to think of this teaching of Jesus as the reset button on your life. Everything seems messed up, upside down. You're struggling with your own sin. You're struggling with your circumstances. Okay, this is the button Jesus is going to push. Now listen to this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value or price, he went, sold all that he had, and bought it. And Jesus goes on and on. A couple different ways you can interpret that. Next slide. First way is, okay, um, I'm the treasure, I'm the pearl of great price, and Jesus is willing to lay down his life to buy me. Yes, those are truths that can be mined from that parable. The field is the world, we are the treasure, Jesus is the merchant, he he gives up everything to purchase all of us, or other way around. Here's another valid interpretation. Next slide. Jesus is the treasure, and he's worth me giving up everything for. I give up my greed. I give up my dreams. I'm willing to abandon everything for him. Which is it? It's both. Last line. It's both. We only love him because he first loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave. Why? So that we would in, in turn love the Lord our God with all of our heart. That's the fullness of the gospel. It's not just one way. Well, God did it and I can do whatever I want. Nope. I found God. I didn't know he was lost. He found you. He saved you. The book of Proverbs is how to respond appropriately. Jesus' teaching is about the value of God's love. Whichever way you look at it, treasuring something, more than everything else in life. Jesus needs to be our greatest treasure. Write that down. And this is the point of Proverbs. For those Israelites, for Solomon, for David, for the future kings of Israel, all of their hopes and dreams about God and God's words and God's promises were future-oriented. They're looking forward to the Messiah. They're looking forward to the Messiah. Their hopes, their dreams are in the future. They're living for that hope. It's the future work of the Messiah. The Messiah encapsulates all of God's promises. That's what this book is written for. A son of David, all these sons of David, they would have access to the words of God through Moses. They have access to the temple, access to the priesthood, access to the prophets. They have access to God and everybody's telling them, everybody's teaching them, the Lord is your treasure, just like Abraham. Abraham said that. 
or God said that to Abraham. Don't, don't miss that. Abraham, I am your exceedingly great treasure and reward. And so Abraham dies as a man looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. He doesn't try buying up all the promised land because it was promised. It was by faith and he dies in faith. So they're looking forward to all of God's promises, the future work in the Messiah. What about us? Well, we are looking back. We have faith in the finished work of the Messiah. It's the same promises. It's the same hope. It's the same God. It's the same Messiah. We just have him in the rearview mirror. Make sure your faith is in Jesus. Biblical wisdom leads to life and avoids death. Next blank. Biblical wisdom leads to life and avoids death. You want to involve the, the worst consequences for sin, then you need to live a life that doesn't walk the path of rebellion, that doesn't walk the path of foolishness, because it's coming. Solomon is just setting the table for his kids. Now listen to this. Follow this way, not that way. Follow this way, not that way. Last four blanks. Machine gun. Proverbs. Proverbs is going to be a mix of instructions and warnings. Do this, don't do this. This is a good idea, this is a bad idea. This is the way of life, this is the way of death. This is the way of encouragement, this is the way of depression. This is the way of family, this is the way of loneliness. It's gonna, it's gonna offer a lot, a lot of contrast. Here's another contrast. Proverbs is a mix of intellect and emotions. It's going to be addressing your heart sometimes. It's going to be addressing your mind sometimes. I think a lot of guys are gravitate towards the book of Proverbs because it seems like it's such practical wisdom. In some ways, it really is. It's really practical. It doesn't mean it's always black and white because it's situational as well. It's situational reasoning. Remember that? We're going to have to learn how to, to take these truths that are couched or written thousands of years ago in that culture, in that language, extract the truth and painfully fit it into my heart. And if it doesn't fit my heart, my heart's what needs to be trimmed, not the truth. I'm the one who needs to change. The hole is too small. Hold the wrong shape. I need to adjust myself to God's word, not keep, well, that fits for you, but not for me. It fits for all of us at different stages and different places of our lives. And we have to be willing to look for where it fits and adjust accordingly. It's a mix. It's going to address your heart. It's going to address your mind. It also is guarding your inner and outer life. You can literally make a list of all the Proverbs and then start checking them off as you do them and still be a jerk, still be a loser, and still be a fool. That's not what this is about. We're not creating a checklist. We're creating a heart monitor. 
checking our highs and our lows and trying to keep always get back to normal, smoothing out our lives. It's guarding our inner lives and our outer lives. And last one, last word of encouragement about the book of Proverbs. Proverbs seek to influence behavior by transforming our motivations. The Proverbs are seeking to influence our behaviors by transforming our motivations. The whole meaning of the phrase, fear the Lord. If your motivation is changed, your behavior will fall into line. It's possible for those little rascals growing up in your home to follow every single rule you lay down and at 18 they move out and they jump off the deep end and finally do everything they ever wanted. That's their choice, that's their decision. So we should not parent them in such a way that we tell them, okay, you're a good kid if you do this, this, and this, and make this little box. Let the box be God's word, it's a lot bigger. They're gonna have a lot more liberties. They're gonna have a lot more freedoms in your house, where by the way, it's better for them to fail and make some mistakes. Don't crush them for when they do wrong. Don't be harsh, fathers can be harsh. This father has regretted some very harsh things. Home needs to be a safe place to learn and to fail, to sin and find restoration. That's what we want. And it comes with the heart of gentleness and that heart only comes when you fear the Lord. Learn to fear the Lord and he sets everything else up. Now, if you say you fear the Lord, I expect your behavior to be a certain way. I expect you to act like you fear the Lord. Not just say it, live it. And here we are. What makes a good Baptist? Don't, 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 don't. Don't, 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 don't. <laughs> That's what makes a good Baptist. They don't drink or chew or date girls that do. You're safe. That's a little hard in the South, you know, but it happens. You can find one or two. No, no, no. Let's transform our motivations. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? I am learning to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, and love my neighbor as Christ has loved me. Stand with me. Let's pray for that. God, we pray right now that you would do a miracle in our hearts, that you would transform our motivations. Our world is bombarding us with messages, with images, with goals. Uh, our government gives us regulations on, on doing this and doing that, how to raise our kids, what they need to learn. Our culture is just upside down, God. Help us. Help us to fear you and what you want most of all. And God, I am amazed that you can transform each one of us no matter where we've gone to school, what family we've grown up in, what disabilities we have, what hang-ups, what habits. Nothing can stop you from breaking through in our hearts. Thank you for being a God of wonders. 
and miracles. We need you to do that for us today. Transform our motivations as we read the book of Proverbs that we wouldn't just be looking to change behaviors, ours and other people's, but we would be looking to see, does that mean, do I have a heart like that? God help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Father's throne, we pour our Our hopes, our aims are one, our comforts and our cares. When we asunder part, us inward pain, but we shall still be joined in heart and hope to me. Again. I just got in on the tail end of that, but I got in on what I needed to hear. Thank for God's truth in this place. It's come to hear it. Our benediction for the day for today is from 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Let's uh, pray for the meal. Oh, Father, thank you for this day, beautiful day of grace just for letting us come to this place and hear your spoken directly to us. And we just pray that you would help us to be doers of your word and uh, just people that love you more than anything. And Father, we thank you for the time to fellowship together and for the food you've provided for us. And we just pray that our fellowship would be a delight and an honor to you just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.